Would you do me a favor? I have had some amazing news. My book, Past Lives with Pets, was nominated for a Visionary Award for 2020. Thank you so much to everyone who supported this book and who supports my work over the years. I am so very grateful and I need your help. Would you vote for my book? You can do this by going over to my website at pastlifelady.com. Click on the blog link and it'll take you to a short article I wrote and the link is there. The votes will be counted up until April 30th. And just know I am so very grateful for your support and friendship over the years. I've got tons of new books coming out um, over these next few years that I hope you will love as well. Just remember when you do this survey, it's going to take a little while. There's many, many categories and you won't see Past Lives with Pets until you get pretty far down the survey. You do need to answer every section of the survey in order for it to count. And just know that I'm grateful for the few minutes of your time and just know it means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Namaste. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Welcome, my dear friend. We're back for my final uh, section of the three-part interview with my dear friend, Dr. Raymond Moody. He's going to share some absolutely beautiful stories today about his kids. That's all I want to say. It just It's going to give you the chills. It might even bring a tear to your eyes. Um, and he is just wonderful. I think you're going to love it. So let's get right into my interview with Dr. Raymond Moody on his book, God is Bigger Than the Bible. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Kerr, and I'm with the amazing one in a million, Dr. Raymond Moody. We're talking about his new book, God is Bigger Than the Bible. And there's so much good material here. I love this book. One of my favorite parts of the book, uh, Dr. Moody, is this, this question. You're telling a story, basically. You're talking about the problem of evil. And the fact that people wonder, well, why do bad things happen then if there is a God and you tell a story or you ask readers, well, what would you do if you were stranded on an island and you could take DVDs? So could you tell us about this? Because it's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've asked thousands of people this question. It's not one-on-one, but in audiences now for years and years. And uh, basically the scenario, scenario I set up for people is I say, suppose you develop some terrible infection 
that required you to be isolated all by yourself on an island for 10 years. And they could send you out there with a cargo plane in a cargo plane that had room for all the food and water and medicine you're going to need for 10 years. And there was some extra room in the cargo hold where they could put a DVD player and let's say 5,000 DVDs, right? Or 10,000. And so what I ask people is, would you choose all comedies? Think about it. Out of the thousands of people I've asked, only three people have ever said yes. Most people say, no, of course not. And then I say, well, would you choose some tragedies too? And they say, well, sure. And I say, well, then when you were all by yourself on that desert island watching that tragedy, would you be crying? And they say, well, sure, because that's the experience of tragedy, right? And um, so what I'm getting at is that I think this thing we're in, which is kind of a theater in my opinion, is kind of that structure. You know, we come in here knowing that we're going to be um, experiencing some bad things. But it's like I have this wonderful little native, not so little anymore. She's grown, but I still, she is, she's still my baby. Little Native American daughter who's 20, adopted at birth, a Blackfeet Indian who's plainly an Indian from the time she came to us. She's, whew, you know, no contact with the culture, but she is an Indian. And she, uh, she loves roller coasters. And I, I've said, you know, I don't like roller coasters myself, but I've been, I've stood in lines with her for a long period of time, you know, waiting an hour or more to get on a roller coaster. And I look at all those people and I say, well, you know, they full well know that when they're upside down at 90 miles an hour, they're going to be screaming and yelling and wanting out of there, right? And yet they line up on the roller coaster. And I think that's kind of how we are. It's just like, um, if, if imagine the state of consciousness before we come here, where we know that we're going to be seeing some stressful things. And I ask people, for example, the plague is going on right now, or right. Of a, a, a terrible uh, pandemic. But ask yourself, if you know before you come in here that you've got, say, 10,000 DVDs to watch or 10,000 lives to leave, would you, knowing in that other, that other state, would you choose to have a lifetime to witness a pandemic? I sure would. I mean, they're fascinating to read about in history, but now we got a front row seat, right? Yeah. So I agree. my point is, but even knowing full well that in the midst of it, we're going to be terrified and wishing we weren't there. But from that other perspective, we know that we're going to make it through. See? So it's kind of like we're, we're putting ourselves into an educational situation. It's like, I love medical school and it's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of horrors about it too. But you go into medical school knowing that there's gonna be some pretty, pretty difficult stuff because you know that assuming you come out on the other side, it's, you'll be a better person for it. I totally agree with that. Every time you struggle and then you, you know, overcome, you do feel better about that. And I also agree about the pandemic. I mean, this is horrible. There's been a lot of tragedy, but it is really a fascinating time to be alive. It yeah. is. It is. 
Yeah. And this is history that will be remembered for a long time. I was, when I was a kid, I was a stamp collector. And I remember looking through my grandmother Walton's stack of old postcards and she just in her accumulated stuff. And I was interested in the stamps, but I remember this one postcard she had written and had a green George Washington one cent stamp on it. But the card was a postcard she had sent to her father who was out of town on a business trip. And she was saying, Mr. Jones next door died and, you know, Miss, Miss Sweetener across the street died. And, you know, just like in that little brief message, five or six people in the neighborhood who had died. And I remember I was seven or eight. I remember reading that and just trying to imagine what that is like. Well, you know, now we know, and, and thank God, I mean, I'm breathing such a sigh of relief with the vaccines that it's like, I'm not worried so much about me I, but I don't want to have any trouble breathing, right? But but right. it's like my main worry was my kids, right? But now they're they both had their first shots. But um, you know, life is interesting, and if you go into it knowing that you're going to come out of it alive, you might choose some things that, <clears throat> when you're in the midst of them, you're kicking and screaming, but. But then also there's this kind of mechanism when you step across that line, you forget all you know, right? It's like Plato right. pointed that out. He said it's called, the, he called it the waters of forgetfulness. He said that just before you come in here, he said there are these patterns that are, it's kind of like it describes almost a screen or something and where it displays all these different kinds of patterns of lives that you could choose. And, um, but then he said, you drink of the waters of forgetfulness and forget. And, and so um, that in psychology, that's called an event boundary. It's like when you're in your living room and you want to get something out of the kitchen, you stand up and you walk into the kitchen. But as soon as you walk into the kitchen, you forgot what you came in there for. Right? It's a common human yes. experience. Yeah, in Plato. <laughs> Plato said that's how it is when we come here and because it would certainly be upsetting to try to negotiate this very complicated life that we're in with all this other stuff coming in he said it's like the life we're leading here is like we're like a horse with blinders and so it keeps right. all this other stuff out so we can concentrate on the task at hand you know along these lines what I've thought about lately is if we if we do feel that we're connected with a higher power, God, and that we are going to go on from here, if we could have a real feeling of that, then we really shouldn't be afraid of what's going to happen to us during a pandemic, because we should have the awareness that we are infinite beings and that we're going to leave here and just, you know, go into the cosmic soup mm -hmm. or whatever. So what do you think about that? Well, I think that that is certainly appealing from this context, but I don't think it would be appealing to the point of view of somebody coming into this place. Well, yeah. Because, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's, life comes at you relentlessly. You know, it's yeah. like you get immersed in it. And I can, I can have all these thoughts and I can sort of stand back and I can realize, yeah, this is a play, like an illusory thing we're in, like a theater, and this is a movie. But then 
some personal annoyance intrudes, right? The dog barks or, you know, and that's the way life comes at you. It's just like relentless. And so even though you can attain the state of consciousness where you can see the dramatic or story-like structure of it, that it doesn't let you do that. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Something comes along and then you're immediately immersed in it. But what I found is that if you get, keep having this flash, right, again and again, oh, yeah, this is a story, eventually it gets to the point where it becomes more or less continuous. So you can develop this kind of bilateral or bi-level consciousness where even when the tough things are going on, you say, oh, yeah, well, this is just a story, but it doesn't help the feelings. You still feel right. distressed and all, but but you still can, I think, attain that, that um, insight into the story um, nature of it. But, you know, it wouldn't be a, as interesting an experience if you went through it knowing it was a story, right? I mean, if you had that consciousness all the time, that would, yeah. I don't think I would like that state of consciousness. No, it would be boring or something. I don't yeah, know. or it's just like, what's the point kind of, but when you really get immersed in it, that makes it a lot more, you're a lot more engaged. Yeah, I feel like I'm in that state now, but you know, I started this particular podcast um, as a reaction to the pandemic, because of course we were all locked up. And I certainly didn't feel like that when this first began. We're all locked yeah, up, yeah. we're terrorized, we don't know what this thing's gonna do to anyone. And yeah. there was, I did, you know, I try not to experience deep feelings of fear, but we all have had fear and panic and uncertainty yeah. and all kinds yes. of unwanted emotions that, like you said, it's happening because That's we're trying right. to do our best, but yet life is going to start just throwing things at us. And it certainly has thrown it at us this last year. And the other thing I thought was so interesting, you know, historically, is that because we're so connected through the internet, through um, the ability to travel around the world on airplanes and things like that, we've never had a time in history where we've all really been going through something together with that's every right. other person on earth don't you think that's amazing and profound it is it is as i said you know what a show and and you know that <laughs> sounds so harsh in a way because i was terrified too yeah you know and and you know terrified more about my kids yes and so this is a lot more um you know now i can since I've been vaccinated, I've had both of my vaccinations and the kids have had their first vaccination. My wife is vaccinated. You know, I, it makes it a lot more, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's still unpleasant, but it's, you don't have that stress and anxiety. Right. But, you know, I remember reading many books about the plague of Athens or the Black Plague or all these, yeah. just, and, and, in my interest in epidemiology, I would read these books like it's gripping. And now, you know, it's it's not they're reading a history book anymore. It's looking at it from the point of view of, of a participant. Yeah, that's a totally different reality. So mm -hmm. I think I was scared about if I am sick and I don't know it, and then I'm going to spread that to other people that terrorized yeah. me because I thought, you know, I've spent a lot of time working on my karma, Raymond. I don't want to rack up anymore, if you know what I mean. And that just drove same me here. Yeah. Same here. You know, it's it's like the funny thing, Shelley, about this 
idea of the happiest life is to love other people yes. and take in his serve other people you you first hear that when you're young is as an ideal right and then for some people as you grow older it becomes kind of an aspiration but eventually as you live older it just becomes a fact of experience because um you know the fact is what makes you happiest is when you're serving other people i mean you you just learn that by experience because ego you know as, as long as you're trying to focus on yourself and it's all about you then you're always miserable my formula is ego equals pain right whenever your ego is involved there's always some um you know unpleasant or painful aspect of it. and then you know, eventually when you get to the point of view where you can lose yourself and just get interested in helping other people, that's when you're happy. Absolutely. And it's not anything ideal or, you know, or aspirational. It's just, it's just how you, you learn that from experience just by living. I completely agree. You know, one of the great things that you and your wife, Cheryl, did in my mind was when you adopted your kids, yeah. Carter and Carol Ann. And in the book, you have a beautiful section about a vision you had, again, kind of like your grist mill, where several yeah. years ago, you just had this vision. I want yeah. to have a Native American daughter. So would you share that? I thought I just thought it was another yes. example of God working in your life. Yes, I had um, been uh, the spring of 1981 or 82, I was living in Charlottesville, Virginia. I had two wonderful sons, um, Avery, who's now a, um, a physician and a, as a medical director of a prison in Georgia, and Sam, who's now grown and is a professor of Spanish linguistics. But at the time, they were just kids, right? And so I was sitting on the back porch that night in my swing, and I had always wanted a girl, you know, but, but my wife, she had had trouble with the last pregnancy, so we thought, you know, it's really not advisable for her to get pregnant again, so, and I don't know where this daydream, it really was a daydream, it came to me, it was very vivid, and my thought was, wouldn't it be wonderful to adopt a Native American daughter? Right. And I mean, I don't know where it came from, but it was very heartfelt. And I dwelled on it a long time that night, just kind of imagining it. And so then I just let it go. I mean, you know, it's, but then that was in um, spring of 81 or 82. Now, flash forward 19 years later, um, I was living in Las Vegas where I was a professor out there at that time. And my wife and I had adopted about two years before this uh, son, Carter, who's uh, Mexican-American by heritage. And we, again, we adopted Carter at the moment of his birth, we were there. And um, so this was the year 2000, Carter was two years old. And, uh, but several years before, I think it was 1996, I had been out in New Mexico lecturing and um, I was sitting in the audience just before my lecture and the previous lecturer was at the podium. And so the previous lecture finished his lecturer, finished his lecture and he asked for questions. 
And it was one of these arrangements where you had a microphone in the middle aisle and to ask your question, you had to go around and line up and talk into the microphone to ask your question. So sitting next to me on my right was this Nate, obviously Native American woman. And she obviously, she wanted to ask a question, but you could tell from her body language, she was just, you know, she just, I guess, a little shy, just, just, just conflicted about it. So my wife, Cheryl, sitting on my left side, just punched me and pointed that out. So I took up this lady, Christine, a Blackfeet lady, and I just, escorted her around as anybody would to, to ask her question. And I stood there to, and with her while she asked her question. Okay, that was in 1996, all right? Now, flash forward to 2000, uh, Carter is two years old. And so out of nowhere one day, Christine calls up and, oh, how are you doing? I remember her cheerful voice. And um, I, I said, oh, we're doing great. You know, we, we've adopted a baby. And she said, oh, I wish so much I had known you were looking because, she said, on the reservation, I work in the hospital and I'm the first person to know when we have a situation coming up uh, where, you know, we need adoptive parents. So I said, by all means, a few weeks later, she called me, your daughter is on her way. And uh, so, you know, that's how Carol Ann came around. And um, then when she was, yes, when she was some years older, we were, she, from the very beginning, she liked to go on long walks. I guess it comes from her ancestry. And we lived way out in the country. And she, um, she um, would, um, uh, loved to go and collect little animals and plants and her nature bag, as she called it. So this one day she said, I want to find a snail. And I said, well, okay. So we went looking for a snail, looked all under the creek, and just everywhere, no snail. But on the way back home, just getting close to home, I heard this voice behind me. Wow, yay. And I turned around and she had found in the dirt a little snail about maybe a quarter of an inch in diameter which was the same color as the dirt like really dark you know that same color she found this nail and she held it up like this and she said god makes your dream come true and my mind went back to that oh. night on the porch in charlottesville and i thought well he sure does yeah yeah oh i just love that and you talked about how Carol Ann was very um, kind of profound and she told you how she picked you and how she came here. Um, she it, did. When she was nine so years amazing. old, on one of our walks, she was walking. There was this old wooden bridge about an hour, from, about a mile from our house, right? And so um, she liked to sit on that old wooden bridge and just talk. And this one day, she was nine years old and she's out of nowhere she said i don't like this place which obviously she was talking about the world and so i was kind of saying, uh and by the way i'm you know trained in psychiatry you tend not to react right you just don't want to shape people so i just said uh and she said yeah you know she said um 
when you die, you just go up and you be with God and he holds you up there, she said, till all the people you know while you're alive have died. And then he sends you back as another person. And I said, well, what makes you think so? And she said, I just know in my mind, pointing like that. And she said, and I was with God and he pointed you out to me. And he said, you got to go down to be his daughter. And I said, well, how did you feel about that? And she said, oh, I didn't want to do it. She said, I wanted to stay <laughs> with my God, she said. But he pushed me. He pushed me down to be your daughter. Yeah. That is just absolutely profound. It is. And at the same time, it's, you know, I know a lot of people listening to this have had these same kinds of experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, this is the proof of God that we're talking about, the, the proof that's as close that we can get. Well, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, that's right. It's totally and it's agree. even beyond proof. I mean, in the sense that, you know, there's it's just it, you don't even have to go through a process of thinking it out, really. Right. It's just obvious. Yeah, that's your personal relationship with God. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. That is amazing. So I've got to ask one more thing because you have you have so much in this book. Friends, please, you've got to get this book. We will have Thank the links you. below. Um, you do have an amazing chapter. I know you enjoy studying the works of Lewis Carroll, author yeah. of Alice in Wonderland, and mm -hmm. talking about the idea of there's wisdom in nonsense. And you do have a yes. chapter called God and Dr. Seuss. And it just seems yes. very timely with all the crazy cancel culture nonsense yeah, that's going yeah. on. So I was wondering if you could tell us about how you believe God speaks to us through nonsense and any thoughts you have about Dr. Seuss in specifics. Yes, I was, um, I had two experiences occurred together when I was about seven or eight years old that has really pretty much shaped the rest of my life. And one was that uh, I was an astronomy buff. And I went, I remember this one night I was looking through my telescope and I had this thought, a lot of people listening to this have had this same experience where you start wondering, well, how big is this thing we're in, right? So your mind goes out to the wall, right? But then you think, just a minute here, doesn't there have to be something on the other side of a wall, right? Right. So it doesn't make any sense to say that it ends in a wall. But then on the other hand, the only other option seems to be able to be that it just goes on forever and ever without any limit. But that doesn't make any sense either. So right. when I was about seven or eight, I realized, as many people have, that we live in a block of nonsense, right? I mean, this doesn't <laughs> make any sense, this thing. Works. But that didn't trouble me because my favorite authors at that time were uh, Lewis Carroll and Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and Dr. Seuss and also Edward Lear. People don't know him as well, but he was a great nonsense poet too. And I just loved nonsense. So I thought nonsense was a good thing. And to me, it's not a bad word, but a good word. And it's, you know, this people love nonsense. Um, a lot of people listening to this will probably be old enough to remember doo-wop music, right? Yeah. I get a job, you know, it's like, or, or playground rhyme 
quotes that people remember, like one bright day in the middle of the night, two dead boys got up to fight. Back to back, they faced each other, drew their swords and shot each other. A blind man came to see the fray, a dumb man came to shout hooray. A deaf policeman heard the noise and came and killed those two dead boys. Well, that's a playground rhyme that many people remember and have good memories. Or if you love uh, um, Louis Armstrong or Ella Fitzgerald and scat scene, mm. which is just nonsense, yes. right? But it just transports you. So um, always nonsense has been a good thing to me. So I just, um, in my uh, God is bigger than the Bible. The last chapter talks about this, um, this, the spiritual dimension of nonsense. You think of um, glossolalia in the Christian tradition or talking in unknown tongues, which is yes. nonsense syllables drawn from the speaker's native language, but put together without grammar or without meaningful combination. So if you keep doing it, you really enter into a profound ecstatic state. Or koans like, what, a, uh, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Which is a nonsense question, but once you just keep thinking about it, it eventually pops you over into a, you know, another state of consciousness. And um, yes. so, and I think many people I've let, I've lectured on nonsense since I was a philosophy professor. I even had a full semester length course on the literature and the spiritual and the um, psychological dimensions of nonsense. And um, so, and, and many people will have very specific events in their lives once they start thinking about it where nonsense really made a big impact on them. And my favorite is uh, in terms of my son, Carter. Um, Carter was born on July 20th, 1998. And um, we would, my wife was there for the birth. She was the first person to hold him. Um, when oh, the so obstetrician sweet. delivered Carter, she just handed him to my wife, uh, Cheryl. And so, um, and so we had, the, Carter is Mexican-American by heritage. We had been down the previous April to get to know the family. And so, you know, the baby stays in the hospital for three days. That's the routine. And so on three days when, later, when Carter was discharged from the hospital, we went with Carter's birth family, uh, Carter's birth mother and her parents. Um, and Cheryl and Carter in his little baby seat and me, we all went to this um, uh, barbecue restaurant there in Texas. And so the gist of the conversation during lunch was that Carter will always know his birth family and that in the fullness of time, we will get together again. So in the midst of this conversation, I looked up and there was a nonsensical sign on the the wall and it it was a placard and it said closed I have gone out to find myself if I should arrive before I return please hold me till I come back that is so 11 years later in April of uh, 13 years later April of 2011, the whole family came and spent a week with us, and uh, 
you know, it came to pass. So, and many people, well, I'm not talking about me, you know, I'm talking about experiences that many people have. Many people right. over the years, I know, you know, have wonderful memories involving nonsense, how nonsense had a spiritual meaning to them. Yeah. Yes, that saying and just how you all came back together. I mean, that's just another, just such a profound, you know, we could call it synchronicity or we could call it God and your personal relationship. Yeah, it's exactly. Working. Yeah, I think that God sometimes talks to us in nonsense. Yep, in order to get our attention. Mm -hmm, that's right. Absolutely. So what is your website, Dr. Moody, where people can reach you? We are at www.lifeafterlife.com. All right. Just As it should be. From people. Yeah. Yes. Um, so get in touch and let me know if, you, if you're interested in reading the book, how you like the book. I just always love to hear from people who are my readers and also. Um, and it's so great being with you again, Shelly, too. Absolutely. Dr. Moody, I just want to thank you for everything you've done, not only for me and your friendship has meant the world to me, but the me friendship too, that you've offered to everyone and you've given us the language by coining the term near-death experience. It's just helped so many people come to terms with something that they just simply couldn't have before. And so on behalf of humanity, you know, we just thank want to thank you. you and That's we, just, so sweet. we love you dearly. And we love wish you, you continue. Sweetie happiness success. oh and by the way that sweetie is not chauvinistic i, I just <laughs> use that for my male friends too i just i caught myself there but you are a sweetie and i've called you that always it's nothing yes. male or female just i say the same thing to my male friends that's good no it, it's all good this is this is political correctness and this canceling. Nah. i i just can't get into it so yeah, it's just wonderful. too bad about Dr. Seuss, too. I mean, that, that one of the books they banned, which I can't, I've looked through, I can't figure out whether, but it's about, it's called On Beyond Zebra. And it's, uh, it's about, it's a parody of alphabet books, right? You know, go into any bookstore, there's hundreds of these ABC books, right? And they're abecedarii, what those are called, those are very, they started as a spiritual modality of writing. There's mm. about a dozen abecedarii in the Old Testament alone, which is, you know, it's, it goes from the beginning and the end of the alphabet. It has a different message on each one. And so Dr. Seuss's alphabet book is called On Beyond Zebra. And it goes on. And the, the main character at the first says, in the places I go, there are things that I see that I never could spell if I stopped with the Z. I'm telling you this because you're one of my friends. My alphabet starts where your alphabet ends. And what Dr. Seuss is getting at there is that nonsense is a mind-transforming modality, not just glossolalia and um, koans but lots of other examples where you can actually um, use nonsense to put yourself into profound spiritual states of consciousness absolutely i did some um speaking in tongues for a while i found it to be very it kind of happened by accident but yeah it's very mind altering for sure 
It is. And you don't have to be in a religious ceremony. I just started myself. You just let yourself go and, and you don't have to have an ecstatic state to start it. But right, once right. you do it, once you continue a few minutes, you just get into a really extraordinary altered state of consciousness. Yeah, you do. I went through a period yeah. where I just couldn't stop doing it. It was so relaxing. I think it it's is. a form of meditation in a sense. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can easily imagine that once you get into that state, you would be more receptive to a, a, you know, a communication from God. Yeah, I did that actually, now that I'm thinking about it before I, I had ended up getting um, interested in transcendental meditation, which is basically mm -hmm. reciting a, a mantra over and over mm -hmm. again. But the nonsense is even surpassing that because it's it just, is. you don't know, even know what it is. It's not making any sense. And it, it's so profound. It is. And, and, you know, it just, it's uh, an, just an indescribable, extraordinary state of consciousness. It was not just the Christian tradition that had glossolalia. There've been other religions that have used equivalent things as well, but it's, it's definitely a spiritual modality. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, um, friends at home, Dr. Moody has a new book that came out in 2020 called Making Sense of Nonsense. So I will definitely right. be giving you the links. It's out from my friends at Llewellyn Worldwide and you know how much I adore them. So we will have- Oh, aren't they the greatest well. folks? I just I love Llewellyn them. so mind-making. They're all just so great. Yeah, they yeah. are. They're a huge blessing for everybody. Yeah. So Dr. Moody, you are a joy. I wish you, you too, and your family- Cheryl happiness peace love success and continued um fun on your life journey it has just Thank been so amazing too. to connect with you again and we will have the links friends please pick up this book you will love it we will have the links below and i will see you next time on the next episode right. of healing arts thank you and thanks so much to everybody for listening in too thank you absolutely thank you We'll be right back. Hey, my friend, have you known your pet in a past life? Well, believe it or not, a lot of people have. You can check out case histories and find out more about your connections to your little fuzzballs in my book, Past Lives with Pets. Check it out and find out today. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. One of the big takeaways from this part of my interview with Dr. Modi is this idea that even though we have been through unbelievable stressors and tragedy and chaos and fear and gripping terror, that in the midst of all that, it is really an interesting time to be alive, you know, and God really is still with us, blessing us if we'll just take the time to notice all of the amazing blessings that we have to be grateful for in our lives. 
And so I hope that we will all take some comfort from this three-part episode, which I really do feel needed to be absorbed in three parts. So we can really think about the things that Dr. Moody's talking about here. You know, we still have so much to be grateful for. And I just hope that you're doing okay, but just know that it's going to get better. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. You know, we've got one direction to go now and that's up. So take a look at the miracles in your life. Take care of yourself and have a blessed week. And I just can't wait to see you again on the next episode of Healing Arts. Would you do me a favor? I have had some amazing news. My book, Past Lives with Pets, was nominated for a Visionary Award for 2020. Thank you so much to everyone who supported this book and who supports my work over the years. I am so very grateful and I need your help. Would you vote for my book? You can do this by going over to my website at pastlifelady.com. Click on the blog link and it'll take you to an, a short article I wrote and the link is there. The votes will be counted up until April 30th. And just know I am so very grateful for your support and friendship over the years. I've got tons of new books coming out um, over these next few years that I hope you will love as well. Just remember when you do this survey, it's going to take a little while. There's many, many categories and you won't see Past Lives with Pets until you get pretty far down the survey. You do need to answer every section of the survey in order for it to count. And just know that I'm grateful for the few minutes of your time and just know it means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Namaste. Hey friends, guess what? I've got a new book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide on March 8th called Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. This book is based on something I call genealogical regressions, because sometimes when I'm working with clients, I go into their past lives and I realize this is not the source event of the challenge. We need to send light and love to ancestors in order to make our lives the wonderful places that we want to be. So I hope you'll check out my new book and stay tuned for class announcements, book signings, and more as March gets closer. Heal your ancestors to heal your life coming March 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. <music>